Hey, my name's Andy. I'm pastor here on staff at Water's Edge, and welcome. I really do appreciate you all being here on Sunday, so thank you for coming. It's great to see everybody. How you guys holding up? Doing all right? Yeah, doing good. How's Elise? Sweet potatoes. All right. Um, yeah, it's fun to celebrate the Hanrahan's having their kid. I, I, if you know, the Chung's had their twins as well, so it's like, thank you, Lord, for carrying those good works to completion. Speaking of good work, we want to celebrate Hubert's birthday today in the back. He's hanging down there. Happy birthday, dude. Yeah, let's just do it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Hubert. Happy birthday, we love you too. Yeah. So as Carrie mentioned, Carrie did a great job on the welcome. Love that. Um, Carrie's our Sunday's coordinator. She's also my sister, which is fun. Yeah, and uh, we are continuing the series, fairly new series, Finishing Well, A Lifelong Following of the, of the Messiah. And the goal is to discern what discipleship means for us. If you look at that word disciple in the Bible, it's the Greek mathetes, which is translated a learner or a pupil. And one of the implicit goals I want to make explicit about this series is that when you follow Jesus, you, we are called, you and I are called to be lifelong learners to be attentive to what God has for us each and every day. It's not about like having it all figured out or having it all together. It's just like, all right, Lord, what do you have for me in this season? And I love the groundwork that was laid for us by both Scott Wildy, a friend of mine, and Missy Bell, a friend and co-laborer of ours. Scott talked about this idea on two weeks ago about the fact that there's two races you can run and one leads towards life. That's the race with Jesus. And the other leads to destruction, whether it's slow or quick, uh, and that's a life without God, that God is the author of life, and uh, any slight misdirection can be really difficult if we're not running to and with God. In fact, he, he ended with this, this nod to the Ignatian principle of uh, letting all of life, the highs and lows, bring us to God. That's the call. And then Missy so wonderfully preached last week this idea that the race begins it ends with it. It flows in the middle of it all with, uh, of God's loving affection towards us and through us. That one of the smaller crescendos in Matthew is this great commandment where we're called to love God and others. In fact, that informs our vision as a church, that we are here not just to be saved and have some great afterlife, but we are called by God's love and in God's love to have God's love flow through us. And that even that section of scripture, Matthew 22, is preceded by this amazing uh, truth that Jesus conveys that we are married to God. God is our lover and we are God's beloved. Whatever stage of life you are, God is our primary spouse. And uh, he is a God of love and who, God, who bids his love towards us. He's a God of loving affection. And today I'm going to have some questions. We're going to have some prayer, parent, share times. I don't know if we've had that much lately. But here's the first question. How have you experienced, and I'd love for you to, to think about it, introverts, and keep your mouth quiet, extroverts, for a second, and just think, like, how have you experienced God's loving affection towards you this week? And then after about five seconds, you can share. All right, so how have you experienced God's love affection towards you this week? I'm going to figure out where my stand is. So share. All right, let's head it up. Sorry about that. I got lost in thought. 
so it can't be understated. Chris Collado's handsome. It also can't be understated that any conversation that we have has to begin and, and, and flow with, in and through God's love. And, and speaking of running, I, I wanted to give somewhat of the, the I don't know if the running's right wing, but like somewhat of the groundwork of this series that we're going through. Again, it's rooted in Matthew's gospel, but it was kind of fun um, just to think through a series based on the conversations that we'll see Jesus be having. And so there's a, a preview of the series, or a rather not even preview, just a run through of what it is. Recap, I don't think it's the right word. Uh, last week we taught, or the first week, Race We Run, God's Loving Affection. Today's about eliminating hypocrisy. Uh, the next week's about hope and living and how hope brings life. The following's about truly contributing, which is going to be a fun one. It's, I actually want to take that time to have a collecting discernment process about the mission God has for us as a church. So that'll be a fun one that we'll be all together. And next week will be fun too because it'll be part message, part crew meeting, and there's going to be some fun stuff with the costumes. Uh, and then leaving a legacy that is hopefully a panel that we'll have and then beginning today, which is a great thesis that actually Pastor Deb wrote. But long story less long, uh, that is where we're going. And again, all these conversations begins and ends with God's love for us. And uh, yeah, so today, as I alluded to, is about eliminating hypocrisy. As, as some would say, converting the unconverted areas of our life. Now, when I bring up that word converting or change, because that can be a hard term, who's the one who changes our lives? <laughs> It's me. No, it's not. It's not me. In fact, the, this print, the passage today says, in fact, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus says in John 16 this way, very late, truly you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Where is he going? He's talking about his death, resurrection, and then subsequent ascension. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Greek paraklete, which also can be translated encourager, counselor, comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove or convict the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. It's God who's the one who convicts us and invites us into new life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we have conversations about hypocrisy and areas of our lives that fall short, a lot of the times we think we know those areas. We have our laundry list of shoulds in our lives. We do. In fact, when I write a message series, I love, or when I write a message, I love to like look at the scripture, discern a theme, and then do a lot of notes taking. And I actually had some previous titles for this message that was based on my own ideas of self-improvement. One of the messages I had was struggling with our butts. That was like it. <laughs> like we all kind of struggle with our butts. I love God, but I struggle with creating space for God. I love God, but... I struggle with generosity. I love God, but I struggle with inappropriate conversations, relationships, etc. Patience, grumbling, or should. Another, another one was like shoulding all over the place. I should give. I should pray. I should praise. All those things that we know. That's why I didn't make it my titles. <laughs> but here's the thing we have to consider. If there's hypocrisy in our life, if there are truly unconverted unconverted areas of life, we, we likely are not aware of them. That's the thing about hypocrisy. Yeah, there's areas of life we know that are off, 
But I wouldn't say that falls into hypocritical blind spots. I mean, if there are blind spots, would we truly know that there are blind spots or would we need God to identify them? And that's what I'm interested in having and saying. Yeah, there may be areas of life that you know that are off. That just falls in the category of good old defiance and rebellion. And any conversation you have about whether it's defiance or rebellion or it's a conversation about blind spots, there's two postures that we can have. And one is the one I want to preach against, and that's the shameful posture. Let's just say Chris has an area of your life where he's falling short, whether he knows it or not. And Chris receives it this way from God or from me or from anyone else. Shame on you. (laughs) Fix that area of your life. Is that going to change Chris? No. What it's going to do is put him in a cycle of his own self-punishment, which may only precipitate further uh, inaction or further sin. Because he's already punished himself. He already knows that he has no dignity because that's what shame does. It de-dignifies you. It dehumanizes you. It says you are not worth who you think you are. You're not cutting, you don't make the cut and therefore you're less than. Which then, when you have that mindset, you say, well, I'm just going to act out this way anyway because I'm going to live below the dignity that I don't have. I hope that made sense. What is, whiteboard that, because that's not me. That's not the Lord. There's no condemnation for God or for those in Christ Jesus. What if it's more like, Chris, my boy, I love you. You know that, right? I love you. My son, my child, man, I love you. I want to talk about this area of your life. This area of your life that I believe is actually below the dignity that I say that you have. Why don't we work on that area together? I want to help you rise up to be the man I know you to be. How about that? And you won't be alone, and I'm going to help you, and we're going to rise up together. And I'm actually going to put people in your life. You're going to be so surprised if you're able to come forward with this. You'll be so surprised how people are going to love you in and through this process. We see the difference? Okay, cool. Let's just hope that's our mindset. But we're talking about hypocrisy. So we need to be open to what God wants to identify and not necessarily what we want to identify. And caveat. One of the next steps for this message is to read the woes in Matthew 23. The difficulties of doing Matthew in a year is like you still can't cover it all throughout the year. There's like 28 chapters and there's only 52 weeks minus a couple weeks we go to the beach, etc. It's like you still can't do it all. So one of the next steps is to read Jesus' prophetic woes. And, and to heed some themes there, I think one of the things we can't get caught up is in some unreasonable literalism and everything, because some of what Jesus says and why Matthew has that is specifically for the people of Israel. But there can be some themes there nonetheless. And as you read that, I want you to specifically pay attention to the crescendo at the end of that chapter where Jesus says this way, because you'll know again his loving affection. Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together, as hens gather her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, loving affection. Conversation about blind spots or known areas of failings, whether it's personal or collective, and we'll get into that. It has to begin and end with loving affection. Thus, 
my revised title. It's not shooting or no, struggling your butts. The revised title today is this. Huh. That's the revised title. Kimmy, you make me feel like the greatest all the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lord's good, but thank you. Uh, stop. Just stop. Um, me too. It's good. It's good. Let's call it those snorts of love. Uh, the revised title today is, huh. Everybody, huh. Or maybe like, huh. Like, try that out. Try it out. Give me your huh. Huh. Yeah, that's the posture I want us to have when it comes to God revealing areas of our life. Huh. Oh, okay. Huh. Okay. Lord, I hear you. Maybe that would be our posture today. I mean, we want to be, as the psalmist says, search me. God, know my heart. You know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way of me. And of course, as with all your commands, lead me into the way everlasting. Lead me to life. You're the author of life. You want to sustain my life. You want life for me today. Show me the ways. But God, I need you to actually show me what I don't know when it comes to my hypocrisy. So the question, as I discern for us today and meditate on the scriptures, is this. What are some ways that we can hear from the Holy Spirit as we begin to reflect on our unknown blind spots? That's an interesting question to me. Because I can't be like, this is what your blind spot is. I, maybe I can, but I, I, and maybe that's one of the ways that God will talk to us. But ultimately, it's got to be the God who reveals it, right? So what are some of the ways that we can discern the Holy Spirit's voice? Some of the ways, not all the ways, as we reflect on some of our own known blind spots. And that will take us into the scriptures, into Matthew 23, the beginning of it. And uh, how are you doing? You guys like the whole Matthew thing in the year? It's been pretty cool, right? I'm in a discernment process for next year, our leadership team, so I'm, I just hear how it's going. How many sections does Matthew divide up his gospel into? How many discourses? Do you remember that? Yell it out loud. High five, high five, yeah. And what is that symbolic of? What is that an homage to? I heard it, Pentateuch, yeah, which are the first five books of the Bible. You guys have got it. So one of the themes we see, I mean, the answer is there, but like one of the themes <laughs> you see is that Jesus is not only God with us, Emmanuel, which we will be singing about soon on Christmas. Not only is he a king, that's what Messiah means in the line of David, but he is a greater teacher, a greater five books, who was arguably the author of the five books? Moses. See, you guys are going, I, I'm trying this out, like this whole like back and forth thing. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but it's been a year, guys. We know what we can do. We got the answers. You've all passed in God's eyes. That's amen. But it's, yeah, it's greater Moses, which will be thematic today because Jesus' contemporaries, these religious people, love Moses. They love the law. And Jesus has a word for them about them. So here we go. We're going to read scripture, Matthew 23, uh, verses 1 through 12. I also want to say right now, because my boy Mac's in the back, Mac, if you can hear me, I love you, dude, so much, my boy. Okay, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, this isn't in my manuscript, but I feel like just pausing. Because this note is important. When people tell you about your life or tell us about our collective social life, and they have thoughts for us, 
I would be cautious with that. I would weigh it lightly if they are unwilling to help us or unwilling to walk with us. Does that make sense? That's just one principle that I was like, oh man, I was reading that again this morning. It's hit me. It's like, if somebody wants to say something to you about your life, but they don't want to help you at all, that likely has less to do about you and more about them and making their life better. Just want to name that. I mean, Oscar Wilde said, a lot of, most criticism is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my mentors, his name is Lair Bear, he helps me understand that 70% of criticism is likely about them. Unfortunately, 70% praise is likely about them too. It's like, I love that song. It's because you love that song. You know, it's like, that's how it goes. Um, and so we just take it and weigh it with God. But the source matters. We're moving on. Everything I do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Phylacteries are these boxes that hold four scriptures from the law, two from Exodus, two to Deuteronomy, and they, they place on the hands on the foreheads. If you remember Missy's message last week, a little payback, homage back to that. If not, that's okay. You can listen to it on our website. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor of banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not called to be rabbi, or you are not called to be rabbi. Wait, you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you called to be instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's God's word for us. There's a lot there, and I don't, I, I'm not going to cover everything. I just want to name that. I, I'm really interested in the conversation we have, but I'm not going to talk about church leadership and intercessories and mediators, etc. if you have different backgrounds with different aspects of um, the Christian faith whether it's Catholic, Orthodox, or the many different branches of Protestantism. Just not going to do it. Not going to do it. Just name, name that. But I will talk about s- some of the religious leaders that Jesus is dealing with. This case is the Pharisees. And I thought Scott did a really good job of helping us understand the different religious sects or factions, the religious leaders of their day. He talked about essentially the fighters, uh, the fighters or the escapists, and then the conformists. Respectively, that is the fighters of the zealots, the escapists were commonly known as the Essenes, and the conformists are essentially the religious leaders of their day, those who are colluding, who are not only uh, operating in religious areas, but also socio-political areas. And I thought, boy, Missy, again, did an excellent job last week talking about the Sadducees and how they weren't just religious leaders, but they were political leaders who amassed great wealth. They were militant leaders who used the temple for their own means and essentially died out when the temple was torn down. We'll talk about that next week. In contrast, you hear about the Pharisees a lot. You hear about it so much in sermons that it becomes like white noise, like Pharisees, okay, that's bad guys. Or religious leaders, the bad guys. Uh, Pharisees, uh, a lot like the Sadducees, were not only religious leaders, but they were political leaders. They operated in, in different interest groups, different campaigns politically. Uh, unlike the Sadducees, they believed in the resurrection of the dead, which is why you see later in Scripture different believers who do follow Jesus, which I, I just want to note that. 
Sometimes we think they're bad guys. No, there's a lot of people who were Pharisees and followed Jesus. That gives hope to me and us. They, they weren't completely committed to the Torah. They were open to oral tradition and rabbinic tradition, which includes some of the prophets. But again, as you recognize their phylacteries, they were very much somewhat like the Sadducees, focused on the law, the written law. So I think as we think of Pharisee, we don't want to relegate it just to church leadership, though that does matter. They're, they're an obvious analogy to me, no doubt. But also, I just want to note that it's, it, it's for those who operate as followers in the public arena because they are socio and political leaders. Today's equivalents could be officials, campaigners, private interest parties, different socio factions and sections. One can easily fill in the blank if you think of a social category. If you're a follower of Jesus and operate heavily in a social category that's apart from the church, which is great, that's fine, I'm not denouncing that, um, but somehow are hypocritical as you do that, then you fall somewhat analogous to Pharisees. You with me? So what Jesus is addressing here is what runs through God's people in that time, or in our case, through the church into what is modern society. It'll make sense because I'll be bringing an example that'll be pretty touchy later. So the question again, how can we discern the Holy Spirit's voice as we reflect on our true blind spots? The first point, I believe, is through honest scrutinization of the cultures of our communities. I'll say that again. How do we turn the Holy Spirit's voice as we reflect on our blind spots? It's through scrutinization of the cultures of our communities or the culture of each community that you're in. One of the ways to witness your blind spots is not just through your own personal reflection of your own life, but to figure out what ecosystems you occupy and what are the blind spots of those ecosystems that you're adopting just by the very nature of being there. Again, we think of sin as like our own individual thing, but we need to look at it at times more collectively. Like, what are, what are the cultures that we operate in? So Greg works in the medical field, and he's at Sharp. What's the culture there? And how, how are those blind steps maybe incepting into his mind and his heart? What is the culture of those communities? And we have to scrutinize those cultures. Again, not all the Pharisees are bad. They, they were open to the resurrection of the dead, and so they're waiting for this amazing moment to happen. And there are some in Scripture, like Gamil, well, not Gamil, but Nicodemus, some would argue Joseph of Aramea, who was a Sanhedrin religious leader. They were able to recognize, like, oh, man, we want to honor God. That's the pool we've jumped into, but there's something wrong with the water. There's something wrong with this water, and they've decided, oh, Jesus has pointed that out, and he's the one who brings life. He's the living water. And so they're open to that. That's the beauty of this conversation. So what social systems don't necessarily practice what they preach? They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to do what they ask others to do. This isn't just about Sunday leaders wearing their Sunday garb and not practicing Sunday love, though it is about that. But it's about all of us as followers of Jesus not operating as followers of Jesus in our different social circles. Maybe because of some of the, some of the atmosphere that we've taken in. 
We're not practicing justice or generosity or kindness or graciousness in our schools or our works or our homes. So let me bring up some touchy examples. Because you know me. Why not? And hear me out before you, like, cancel me out. So some potential social examples today, and this could feel punchy, let's say one is a fiscal conservative. Social media and, and your conversations reflect this. Now, this may not be a statistic, but it's pretty easy to surmise that one of the major goals of fiscal conservatives is to maybe pay less taxes in order to have more money to fuel the economy, right? That's not a bad, that's like, don't stone me yet, right? Like, that's a thing. And, and that makes sense if that's yours or my belief. I'm not saying it's not my belief. I'm not saying it isn't my belief. Let's also say that a fiscal conservative is an outspoken follower of Jesus, or an outspoken fiscal conservative is a follower of Jesus. If you've, if you've read the scriptures or studied church history, it's pretty clear that all money is God's money, right? That's given to us for God's purposes, yes, to provide for us, but also to seek God's kingdom. Hypocrisy becomes quite clear if one is a fiscal conservative follower of Jesus and yet stingy with one's money. Constantly investing inwardly and not in others. I don't think that's below the belt. I feel like we all be like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think that's really... And there's a tension because generosity is not meant to be seen. We don't want to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. But at the same time, a generous life is hard to miss. And the truth is, a stingy life is kind of hard to miss too. That's something to think about. All right, hopefully I offended some of us. Let's go to the, let's talk about collective equality and collective equity, which seems to fall, unfortunately, on the other side of the socio-political aisle. And I'm not trying to say, trying to promote idea, being an ideologue where you fall down one island. Let's just talk about something else, collective equality and equity. Again, I'm not citing studies on this, but inherent in social inequities are the beliefs about generational disadvantages. That seem pretty factual, as well as opportunities that are less available to some group or groups compared to others. And there is a lot of credence for this, and if, and, and if this is yours or my belief, right? There is. Now let's say you're an outspoken person about social equity or equality and a follower of Jesus. And your life is void of any godly initiatives of justice, particularly for those who are marginalized. This feels like hypocrisy. Make sense? And it can go both ways. A generous life who believes in equity and equality and justice life for those who are fiscal conservatives. I'm not trying to create mutual independence here, but that's the hypocrisy that we're talking about. In short, if our social medias reflect our beliefs but the rest of our life doesn't, Ring, ring, hypocrisy may and is calling. Take a breather. Feeling good? How am I doing, Rox? It's not bad, right? All right. When you think of the Old Testament, when you hear about Jesus talking the Old Testament, what, what categories do you hear of? The law and the prophets. That's something you hear. And if you recall... The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they kind of focus more on the law. Yeah, that's right, the law. Though there is some belief in the prophets. But, I mean, you got to remember, those phylacteries only have the law in them. Like, I'm pasting the law to me, Exodus and Deuteronomy in my head. 
And if you're focused so much on the law, what are you missing out on? The prophets. Some nerds will say the historical writings too and all that. I get that, wisdom writings. But you're missing out on the prophets. What is the function of a prophet? They are one who makes known the word of God and calls people collectively to obedience. That's what they do. They comfort the afflicted and they afflict the comforted. They bring warning and they bring hope. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring here, a calling for those who are not living within the arenas of their beliefs. So what's God calling us to? I mean, an easy question for us is like, obviously you have to think through the, the cultures that you inhabit. But let's just take a moment and think about our church. If someone were coming in from the outside, and this is hard to do because we're in the inside. This is really hard exercise. What would we think he or she would say about us in this church besides being really good looking? <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. But if, and if Jesus were coming in here, what would the Lord say to us? What do you think the Lord would say? I actually would love for us to kind of discuss this right now. What do you think, if someone were to come in here, what would he or she say about our community? And there's really great things. Really, we're, we're a small church. I'll help you out. We'll start us off with like, give us a little affirmation sandwich. We're a very welcoming community. Um, people are here actually really like being here. It's pretty fun. Not a lot of obligation. I don't think people are operating out of too much obligation. It's closing it. It's wonderful. But what may be some blind spots that you've heard about or are just sensing as we ask God, like, what would you say about us as we're here? I'm going to take a moment to, to discuss. And I actually want to hear some of it when I come back. I have to use the bathroom. <laughs> it's the only sermon where you can go to the bathroom in the middle of this message. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. I've had, this is the most fun I've had in my tenure as a pastor. Okay. All right, sweet. Well, it's good for us to hear it. It's good for uh, the leaders in our church to hear it, for all of us to hear it. So, yeah, like how do we discern the Holy Spirit's voice as we reflect on our unknown true spots? We have to go through honest scrutinization of our cultures, of our community. That's the first point. Second point is this. This is one's interesting to me. It's also through the steadfast proclamation of outside voices. That's also another way in which we hear our blind spots is through outside voices. Jesus says this way, you're not, called, you're not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you're, not, and you're all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you called to be instructors for you have one instructor, Messiah. So like obvious implication of this is like that God's the one who helps us hear. That God's the one who brings attention to our blind spots. I believe when we're ready to receive it and, uh, and God's love as he gives it to us in time. What's, what's easily missed is that um, when we understand that God's voice isn't just relegated to me or people in our community, it actually opens up the realm of what God's voice can be in our lives. Like if God, if there is one God and it's not just relegated to your, the rabbi, like I.E. me or different leaders or worship leaders and all that, or your po favorite podcast person or your favorite author, but God isn't relegated to that one teacher in your life, that actually opens up the beauty and the different ways that God can speak to you. Like God 
can speak to us in so many different ways. Yes, the scriptures, yes, through prayer, yes, through community, but through others, through many others. This could be others from other churches or our agnostic friends, our atheistic friends, from people with different worldviews. It could be people in different socio-political beliefs, as we talked about that conversation earlier. And how is this helpful? How is that helpful to be open to what God says to us through others that aren't necessarily in our communities? How is it helpful? Well, it, it gives an outside perspective, right? There's that old analogy that if you're a fish swimming in the water, you soon are unable to see the water you swim in. But those outside can see if the water is filled with filth. Like, oh yeah, they are outside looking in. That's, that's, I think that's really true. I mean, that's the whole idea of the, of the incarnation, that God comes in and is like, ah, this is, you're beautiful, I love you, I want to adopt you, but you're not serving others right now. And so I want to name that this is not helping. And I want to help you help others. I think another thing that's, uh, implication of outside voices is that in any organization, we tend to adopt the leader's blind spots just by your very nature. We, I'm not saying it's absolutely true, but you tend, just like you adopt the cultures of your communities, you adopt some of your leader's blind spots. You're welcome. Um, but you do. You do. I have blind spots, and you tend to, you tend to have that. And if you've been, the longer you're in, you kind of learn it, and you miss what your leaders are missing. It's helpful to hear from others who may not believe everything you believe, but know your beliefs and know you so that they can bring a word to you about how the medium is not matching the message. Beautiful openness. Again, we weigh it. If they love us and they want to walk with us, even if they don't believe what we have, we can still be open to what God wants to say through others. When people say, yeah, I know you guys talk about mission, but how are, you, how are you actively being on mission? It feels like your life is just as busy as mine. Or you, I know like patience is a thing, but it seems like you're pretty frustrated a lot or, or prone to anger a lot. Or like, why are we gossiping? Or why is this church talking about love, but it's hard to enter into here? Why is that? To bring it close to home. Outside voices are very helpful in our lives. They just are. I, if you know, I was gone a week ago with my family. We went to the East Coast, and I went with some buddies of mine uh, to the Outer Banks. We also went to Washington, D.C., which is a great time. And it was such a fun time just to be out on the beach and with my college buddies. I think I have a picture of them. And um, yeah, these are guys that I went to school with. And I, I don't know where they're on the faith spectrum. I would say that one of them's like, yeah, I like God, and one of them be like, nah, not yet. And one's like, yeah, I want to talk about it, but we never get to talk about it, even though I want to talk about it. I'm like, open? And at the same time, these guys are pretty prophetic voices in my life. They are, because they know me. And they sure do know what I believe. Um, they know what I believe. And they, um, the beauty of those relationships with those guys, Paul, Derek, and, and Mike, I call them Trill, is that... Uh, we, we kind of have this sixth love language, words of insultation, where we just love calling each other out. Um, and it's beautiful because we know we love each other. That's like every other sentence is, I love you. Uh, there are the sentences like, you silly dummy or whatever. And um, it's fun to hear how fun it is for them, especially when your wife chuckles along with them calling you out. It's really good. But they brought some things to my attention this time. Some that I know, some that I was like, oh, this is new to me. 
Here's a new one. I'm messy. I didn't realize that. I'm like kind of like messy and disheveled. Like I'm disheveled. I didn't realize that. I'm kind of like a storm at times. And Courtney loved that. She experienced so much consolation when that was said out loud. <laughs> he is messy. Not dirty, but messy, I'd say. And I, I do chores, but I just kind of leave these like little like, just drop these like bombs of chaos everywhere that kind of where I go, you know? I just realized that. I was like, I, I, when they said it, I'm like, oh, I heard it. It's like a call. And then another thing they brought to my attention is that I'm loud and uh, I'm kind of offensive at times. And uh, that I, I had those foot in your mouth moments. I should have put my foot in my mouth. Um, I communicate how much I love them, but then I, it can feel trite if I pick them apart. By loud, I'm, I can be critical. And that's, that is something new that I've realized. And as I discern that on vacation, there's beauty, there's beauty in getting away and not having work to do because you just sit with God and like, hey, this is what I'm hearing this week. Do you want to hear God's invitation to me? I really believe this is true. He's inviting me to praise more, to be praising with my voice, just to praise God in all situations, just to be open, like, man, how great today is and how, how great each and every moment is, even the low moments. And I think my sense is that the Lord is inviting me in this too, just to be a, a guy who just speaks praise because that kind of pushes out some of the other crap that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's what I've been sensing from the Lord. It's like, oh, I want to be, I want my kids to know me as a guy who's like, just praising all the time, like praising the Lord and meaning it, and meaning it. That was God's invitation, and that came through the process of hearing the prophetic voices that are outside of my culture, i.e. Water's Edge, or Christianity for that matter. It's hard to be critical when you're too busy praising. I'm not saying it's a word for you, it's a word for me. So how do we discern the Holy Spirit's voice as we think about, as we reflect on our blind spots? We have to Scrutinize our communities, be open to outside voices, and the last point here is uh, we have to ask the following question. Would others consider me to be a servant? That's a very basic question. Would I, do others, would Jesus call me a servant? Am I a servant? Yeah, I'm a child of God, but am I also a servant? Lord, do you see me as a servant? When other people see my life, are they thinking, at least one of the top five categorizations of you is like, man, that Courtney is a servant. That Garrett, man, good guy, funny, strong. That dude's also a servant. Is that in their vernacular when they describe you, whoever they are? And they matters because they matter to God. Would people classify you and I as a servant? I mean, this is who Jesus is. Jesus serves us, and this is the calling there are scriptures that talk about that. Son, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's the suffering servant, as Isaiah 53 says. Here's the beauty of service. There's likely no better way to be closer to someone else than by serving them freely, openly, and, and yeah, most of the time without needing a thank you. It's just beautiful, but that's the question as we read these last few words. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Would others who are, quote, under you or beside you call you a servant? Would they call me a servant? Whether it's volunteers, employees, children. What does Jesus want to say to you in his love and compassion? This is one that I don't want to bypass. It's our last question and the end of our message. 
So I want to take a moment just for us to process that out loud with each other, or at least if you don't feel like talking with others, that's great, but to sit with that question. Would others call me a servant? Okay, so take a moment to do that, please. Again, the posture is, huh, not beating yourself up. In fact, pause. If you talk with others and you start talking about how much you're not doing well, you're not a servant, if that's like your first blah, you're likely dealing in condemnation and you're likely putting others in a place where they have to serve you and bring you up out of that craziness. This is meant to be an open conversation. Like, who would call me a servant? Who may not call me a servant, okay? In God's unending, unfailing love. Oh, I can do it now. All right. So, how am I doing time-wise? Okay. Yeah, we got 35 after? Okay. All right. Okay. So, I, I want to encourage you all, when it comes to our church, everybody here serves. It's one of the most amazing things I've noticed about our church is each person serves so well here. So I hope, I, I want to give you encouragement that I see so much, and I learn so much from you all in serving, but I do think it's a helpful question, especially as you consider different cultures that we're in. So I'm so grateful for you all. I know that's a hard conversation to have, but it's a hard area of scripture that we're in, and it requires some, some consideration. But I just wanted to name some next steps is that the call is maybe serve someone this week, and try not to let them do it. If they, if they see you, which is okay, say, hey, it's no big deal, no big deal. I was like down to do it, no, I like you, that's why I did it. Uh, read maybe the end of Matthew 23, as I mentioned earlier, and then d definitely join us next week. It's kind of like an all-church meeting, and I'd love for everybody to be here as we talk about uh, some of God's invitations for us as a church. And yeah, I want you to know that we're gonna take We've been considering what you said, and we're going to take to heart a lot of what you said in terms of our blind spots, and I'm really thankful for your bravery in naming that. Really thankful. So I'm just going to pray for us, and uh, we will um, close this portion of it. Lord, thank you for this community that I love. Oh, I love them so much. And uh, for the people here, for this tight-knit family, would you open us up? Holy Spirit, to the ways in which we can open ourselves up to others, to love them, to listen, to serve, to be a friend. Uh, we are so grateful for what you're doing in our lives, Lord, and we, we're like wanting, God, to hear from you about what you have for us outside of the space. Help us to receive and give your love away. Help us to live and therefore receive and give, God. And yes, God, thank you, Jesus, that you came and that this is the week where you died in the scriptures, that you died for us. That in Matthew 24, 25, 26, we see the ultimate service, your cross, your death on a cross for our sake so that we could follow you today, Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. Give us strength. Help us to rise up. We trust you again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.